We all get used to um, some different things that once stood out uh, when first um, my relatives of ours moved down to, to Manchester. They stayed quite near the airport and underneath a flight path. And at first when we went to see them, we were always kind of shocked by the huge airplane noises. It would wake me up two or three times during the night. They didn't but an eyelid. They had got used to it. And so it is with all sorts of noises and things that once seem intrusive, but after a while we get used to it. There are voices that call out to us in today's world to buy this, to get that, to go to such and such, to do this. And in our media saturated, in our advertising as a massive industry world, our world of many competing interests and causes and products, the noise is pretty incessant. There's a lot more of it around than there were in the days before mass media. But there's always been the pool of different outlooks. There's always been different ways of seeing the world, at least since the time of the fall. There have always been voices clamoring for attention. Do this, come to that, be part of such and such. And in Proverbs chapter 9, the passage that Jan read for us, the voices are reduced to two alternatives. Now, it's not a huge oversimplification. Of course, there are many philosophies, there are many outlooks, there are many products, there are many ways of seeing things, but basically it comes down to two, either the voice of the creator or the voice of part of creation. Either it's the Lord or it's the world's way. And so what we have in Proverbs 9 is that simple choice between the two, um, represented by two women uh, calling out and stating their case. In verses 1 to 6, it's Ms. Wisdom who's doing it, and in verses uh, 13 to 18, it's Ms. Folly. The middle section of the chapter in between relates both to the before, back to Ms. Wisdom, re relates to the last section, Ms. Folly. And right in that middle section, right at the middle verse, we indeed have the central point, the fear of the Lord, verse 10, is the beginning of wisdom. The central message of the chapter and indeed the central message of the whole book. So then, two voices screaming out, clamoring for our attention. And the invitation, verses 1 to 6 from Ms. Wisdom, is really the invitation from the Lord. Back in chapter 2, a passage we looked at last week, it says at verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So wisdom's message is the Lord's message. And look what wisdom has done. She has built the house. The seven pillars suggest it's, it's huge, it's a big area. She's prepared the food. She's sent out her servants with the invitation. That is, an il the illustration here is of the gospel message, which is not do this, try that, make yourself good enough. The, the gospel message is here is God who has provided what we cannot provide for ourselves. The gospel message is you don't have enough wisdom, you don't have enough righteousness, you don't have enough of goodness, but God loves and God has provided a way to share His goodness, His righteousness, His bounty with us. Israel celebrated God's salvation in their feast days, and the prophets spoke of future feasting in God's presence as a picture of salvation. The prophet Isaiah says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. The 23rd Psalm that many of you will be familiar with speaks of the Lord preparing a table for us at verse 5. 
And then again in Isaiah, this time at chapter 55, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, you have no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on that which is not bread, on your labor on that which does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. And that image of the gospel, of, of receiving the gospel's grace as, as a feasting, is, is one that's taken up and built on by Jesus Himself. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, Luke tells us at nine, nine, chapter 19. But a bit earlier in chapter 7, He says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Not the purpose of His coming, but the way and method that He used Jesus was often criticized because of the folk that he ate with. And in the Gospels, and in Luke's Gospel in particular, there are many instances of Jesus sharing food, Jesus having a meal with someone, or Jesus using banquets or whatever to, as illustrations of the kingdom of God. Jesus announced then the plenty, the feast of the, the coming kingdom of God, and he brought it into reality through his own feasting, his own table fellowship. And it was the unworthy who he welcomed and gathered around. It was those who knew that they needed a savior. Those who knew that they needed the house built for them, the provision made for them, because they had no ultimate wisdom or righteousness or goodness of their own. Wisdom was to see the reality, the graciousness of a God who provides for us. Wisdom is to recognize that before God, we are all beggars simply in need of food, but look, He has prepared not just a crumb or two for us, but a feast. Wisdom is to enter into the feast of the kingdom of God. And then the other voice at verses 13 to 18 of the chapter, Ms. Folly. Significantly, it's the same invitation that she gives, and indeed it's addressed to the same people. There's not you know, a group of people in the world, some of whom are religious and some of whom are not. Um, this is not like um, two folk agreeing that they're going to have a game of chess and they get the board out and all the pieces are mixed up. And so one of them's picking out all the white pieces, one of them's picking out all the black pieces. It's not like that. It's not wisdom saying, oh, this one's from my team and folly saying, this one's in my team and this one's for me and that one. It's not at all. The invitation is for all people. All of us are called to listen and to respond. They are, the offer is much the same. They're both saying, come over here, I will meet your deepest needs. I have what you really want. But however, the, the care and the industry that wisdom has taken that I, that I mentioned before, the building of the house, preparing the, the meat and, and mixed her wine and the invitations that have been sent out with their servants, none of that is found in the instance of folly. In fact, verse 14, she's just sitting at the door of her house. She has not labored. In fact, verse 17, she's stolen her stuff, stolen water is sweet. It's not real. It's not lasting. It's not hers. So the invitations might sound the same. Come and, and, and you'll get your deepest needs fulfilled here. 
But what's behind the two invitations is very different. One is real, one is an imposter. With one, we can be sure that what is in offer is real and true because wisdom herself has prepared it. The other, folly, is promising what she doesn't have and could never provide. And that's the, the gospel's nature in charge. It's, it's, the gospel's not, here's a couple of alternatives, make up your mind which one suits you better. It's saying on the one hand, we have a God who not only created, but who has redeemed the world through his Son. A God who has provided everything. A God who has made possible salvation at his cost, at his expense, at his trouble. And on the other hand, the over-promising, the over-offering of what folly has. So what is the invitations might sound similar, but the outcome is very, very different. Verse 6, wisdom, food nourishes and is life-giving. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Whereas folly, verse 18, brings death. So stand back for a moment and, and think about some of the voices that are in the background for us today. Some of the invites that we get, you know, just buy this car and you will have ultimate freedom. That car's never going to be in a traffic jam. Was that the promise? You'll never have to buy petrol for it or pay road tax or anything? I don't think so. And even if it does work brilliantly, does that really mean I'm free in all these other areas and aspects of my life? Does it pay the mortgage? Does it do it this, that, or the next thing? Buy this perfume and everyone will love you. Even if you're still a nasty sniping person underneath. Buy your clothes from us and you will be admired and respected. Your sense of self-worth will be secure. I write. Because if we actually think about what so many of these things are offering us, we should be able to see through them. They are over-promising. They are offering what we cannot have through things, through stuff. They are enticing us because they want our business. This is what Ms. Folly is offering in, her, in the verses 13 to the end. She's offering an illusion, what she doesn't have, have. She's offering a shortcut, but one that leads to destruction. Sometimes, indeed, verse 13, these sellers of false goods don't realize it themselves. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She's too daft to realize that she's over-promising. Sometimes these offers are being made by folk who genuinely believe that joy, peace, dignity comes through getting things, through having things, through looking after yourself first. Or they believe that it's in some series of new experience, bigger and more lavish events, more outlandish adventures or whatever. And the thing is, they're not 100% wrong. I mean, let's face it, if they were 100% wrong, nobody would be taken in. You know, if somebody went advertising the car and said, here's the, the road to freedom, here is, here is the perfect uh, vehicle, and, and in fact, it was just a wee go-kart, nobody would believe them. It's the fact that there is something attractive there, that there is an appeal. Stolen water is sweet, 
food eating in secret is delicious. We're not denying that. And Folly's appeal is not limited today to getting things, to buying stuff, or going for bigger experiences. It's also heard in so many of life's gurus and the like, how to win friends and influence people, how to find inner peace, how to discover your true self. And again, it's not that all of these are 100% wrong. The problem is that they so often suggest that they can provide life's ultimates, that life's ultimates can be found either within ourselves or through what we do, we achieve. Now, yes, we can do better. Yes, we could become more mindful. Yes, we could become um, better at getting on with others. Yes, we could become more generous. Yes, we could, and so on. But how do we get forgiveness ultimately apart from the mercy of God? In our broken, bust-up world where we've all messed up, who can we go to that can give us free and full forgiveness except the Lord? How do we find security and worth without tasting unconditional love from one who knows all our faults, who knows all our weaknesses, who has seen all our sin but still loves us? and still loves unconditionally. What basis is there for dignity, apart from realizing that we are made by and made in the image of God, a creator who has redeemed us at great cost to himself? How can we find ultimate peace without reconciliation? Reconciliation within ourselves, with other people, with creation, and indeed with God himself. It is God who has labored. It is God who has provided the basis for these things. Verses 1 to 6 of the chapter. And this is one of the challenges of the passage, and indeed one of the challenges for living. We can become used to the pressures of the consumerist society and don't notice the underlying message that we are being enticed with. Just like people get used to the sound of airplanes passing over day by day. It's not always easy to notice what is around us when it is around us all the time. Nor is it easy if everyone else is buying into it. So when we're told about regular Christian disciplines, such as prayer and such as Bible reading, these are not duties made up for their own sake. It is to say that what you and I need to learn to do on a regular basis is to listen out for the voice of God. God speaks to us in Scripture. God speaks to us as we come to Him in prayer and as we listen out to, to Him and for Him. And unless we specifically set aside time to dwell in the Word of God, to reflect things over in the presence of God when we pray, Unless we do that, the enticing overtures of misfolly deceive us and take us from the Lord. Because the thing is, they're pretty incessant. There's hundreds of them, there's thousands of them, and they're coming at us all the way, all the time. And they have their attractions. So we need to be on our toes, we need to be on our spiritual toes. Make sure that we're listening out to and listening out for the word of the Lord rather than being 
enticed into this way, which leads verse 18 only to death. Therefore, we also need to be more open with and involved with one another, that we can help one another to see what's at stake. The church has to be the very context where our individualism is resisted, where we can help and challenge and encourage one another to discern the call of wisdom, the voice of God, amongst all the shouts and claims and messages and more. Now, the key to finding that way, that voice of the Lord, lies, as I said, in the middle verse of the chapter at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is only in a relationship with the living God, only as we recognize and, and reverence Him, only when we give Him the respect that's His due, only when we listen for His words and take His words, can anyone discern the right house and find their way into the feast of God's kingdom. And so we need to be continually asking and assessing our motives. Is this that I am planning to do? Is this that I am planning to buy? Is this that I am planning to go to? Is this that I am going to invest in? Is this that I am about to say? Is this that I am involved in promoting? Is this something that has the backing of the Lord? For when I think I can just please myself, or that I have to first please this person or that person or whatever, so often that's what drags us away from the Lord. Chapter 9 of Proverbs would not be giving us this warning were there not real dangers. Some of you might remember days when we didn't have any means of recording television programs at home. It was just what was on at the time. There was no catch-up or anything else. And you might have been watching or wanting to watch when there's a couple of folk in the house and they, they want to see different things. And so there's a kind of tension building up because we can only watch one. Coronation Street or the European Cup final, what's it going to be? We can't have both on. Or maybe you think of times when you've maybe been double booked for something. Somebody's wanting you to come to this event, but such and such is on at the same time. And you can only go to one. Well, Proverbs 9 is calling us to that kind of thing. Either you sit in the house of wisdom or you sit in the house of folly. And you can only be in one or the other because you've only got one life. So which of the houses are you taking that life to? And that's not just a five-minute choice like, okay, Coronation Street or okay, European Cup final. It's not even a commitment for the rest of the evening. It's a life commitment and a life investment. What voices are we listening to? Whose way are we responding to? Whose invitation are we accepting? And you have to choose. And it's a life choice and a life investment that's at stake. It's the choice between two different ways of life. It's a choice between the kingdom of God and death. It's a choice between the blessings and the fullness of life that wisdom has laid out and provided for us with our ultimate needs being met and our ultimate security ensured. So if we want eternal life, if we want forgiveness, if we want peace with God, 
The good news is that we don't have to earn it. We don't have to achieve it. It's been provided, verses 1 to 6. But the challenge of the passage at the same time is there's a lot out there that's trying to put us off. There's a lot out there that's trying to say, this is pretty nice. This is pretty attractive. Come here. And it's not actually saying you have to be, by doing that, really bad. It's just, well, you could just drift along and not really think about the way of the Lord. And that's the thing. The the way of the Lord is so often going against the the flow. and, And you don't just lie back and go against the flow. You lie back and you go with the flow. What's our heart set on? Who are we listening to? And are we making the time and the space to say that what I think about day by day, what I do day by day, is because I'm wanting to hear the voice of wisdom calling out to me and dwell in the presence of the Lord where the table is prepared for me? Choose. Let us pray. Gracious God, it is indeed good news to us, good news for us that you have provided. And that what you have provided is not something just quickly thrown together, but a salvation that has costed, but you have borne the cost. A salvation that has come out of committed love, but your love's so committed. And the offer is of a provision of fullness of life. Not just escape from troubles, not just letting us off the hook. But being brothers and sisters with the Lord Jesus, being seated at the family table, being having all our ultimate and deepest needs met. And yet, Lord, we so often can be distracted by the many other voices, the many other calls, the many other appeals that there are, the many other enticements. So give us discernment and give us wisdom. But Lord, even as we ask for discernment and as we ask for wisdom, we have to realize and recognize that we're not asking you just to drop that at somehow at the end of our bed so that it's there in the morning. We're, we're asking that you'll help us to learn to dwell in your word, to listen to you, to seek first the kingdom of God as you've called us to do. So help us to put our backs into it. Help us to make conscious efforts to know your voice, to listen for your voice. Help us to make conscious effort to resist the temptation of things that might take us away from you. And help us to do that, Lord, because at the end of that road is such a great and glorious eternal banquet with you right at the heart and you right at the center. In Jesus' name. Amen.